0: Hello, and welcome to Grapevine. This is volume forty one, number thirteen, for week ending Friday, the second of April, twenty twenty one. To you by the great yarmouth and district talking newspaper association this week's news includes the council is planning updates to the Middlegate area and the revamp of the marketplace gets started and as we wish you all a happy easter a look at some of the april's fools tricks from the area and what easter fun and frolics are planned Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me is Aileen, your news reader for the week. Off we go then with the first part of the news.
1: Well, hello everyone. This is Aileen um, with the recording of this week, which is for the week ending on Good Friday, the second of April. Can't quite believe we're already at April um, and having had some great weather it looks like we might be going into another cold spell. Anyway it's Aileen speaking from home. I have to warn you if there are interruptions I have a new puppy living with me called Henry and there's a lot of squeaky toys about so just bear with me if that happens. I hope you're all well and taking care. There's an exciting milestone as the £4.5 million market regeneration begins. The milestone redevelopment of Great Yarmouth's marketplace is at long last underway with part of the new car park now blocked off to facilitate the first phase of the move. Great Yarmouth Borough Council's £4.6 million investment will see existing market stalls moved north into new units. According to the council, these will sit under an architecturally striking wooden canopy which lends itself to a brighter, more inviting environment. The phrased approach to the regeneration began this week as fencing was erected around the southern third of the Marketplace car park which will serve as the new site compound. Phasing in the changes allows traders in the current market to stay open during construction work with owners moving into their new stalls in three phases, summer, autumn and then winter. In the meantime, access remains to the car park with a walkway providing a route to the northern entrance of the existing six-day market facilities. The two-day market traders, however, will relocate temporarily from this Saturday to the Market Square Events area to the south. Coming in at £4.6 the major investment is being funded by the Council itself, topped up with cash from the Future High Streets Fund. A portion of this is also being used to fund landscaping improvements within the wider marketplace area. Carl Smith and Trevor Wainwright said the start of works was an exciting milestone. People can look forward to a brighter, more inviting market in the heart of the historic marketplace, with improved market facilities and a unique design which complements the historic setting supports the wider town centre, they said. Over the next three to four years, more than £200 million of public sector investment is going into Great Yarmouth, of which we've secured £42 million in the last seven months alone. For the traders themselves, there's still uncertainty about when they will make the transition to their new store. Thoko Dolls, also known as Big Mama, has run her cake stall since February last year. She's been given July as the date of her move and as far as she's concerned it can't come soon enough. I'm all for modernising and something big needs to happen as soon as possible to get people back into Yarmouth Town Centre, she explained. For me the move is easier because I've only been here a year and I'm not as attached as some of the others are. But if they're spending four million pounds, it's going to be worth it. I just hope they do something to help bring back the big shops, which are all closing too. A new market isn't enough to increase footfall on its own. Sean Dern from S and L Dern Fruit and Veg is a third-generation market stall owner who moved to the Six Day Market in 1998. He said he was looking forward to relocating as the council had given him his preferred location, more central and away from the entertainers which currently congregate in front of his site. It's not too much hassle at all for us to move. It'll probably cost a grand in total, he said. Father and son Gary and John Salmon, whose pie and peas stall has been in their family since 1946, said thinking about the future was all guesswork at the moment. We're not sure when we'll be moving, they said. We've been given some different dates, but nothing concrete. It's hard to know what difference it'll make at the moment, because I think all of that will depend on how many of the big shops around us make it through the pandemic. Stephen Carr, who has run Carr's Chip Salon for 33 years, was less optimistic about the move. This setup we have now cost me £75,000 and it'll probably cost even more at the new site, he said. All the fat fryers and equipment are extremely expensive to move. The council has offered us an interest-free loan to kit out our new stall, but we'd rather not have to take that. A lot of people here see their stalls as their retirement, but the move and loan will spoil those plans for many of us. The council elections are coming round again and apparently the Greens want the traffic banned outside schools. The Green Party is hoping to get its first councillors on Norfolk County Council in four years, claiming it is the only party with the ambition to drive carbon reduction. All 86 seats at County Hall are up for grabs when Norfolk goes to the polls on May the 6th and the Greens say the County Council would be richer for having their party in the Chamber. Among its proposals are for the Council to create new jobs through retrofitting of homes to cut carbon emissions and to ban traffic around schools. The party has also pledged to resist road building, including the Norwich Western Link, the controversial £153 million road, which would connect the Northern Distributor Road to the A47. The Greens would also target making the county carbon zero by 2030, push for the introduction of a universal basic income, prevent any of the county's waste being burned and put more money into funding social services support for drug and mental health issues. Ben Price, a Green City councillor who is standing for the Thorpe Hamlet, said at County Hall, the council would be richer for the Greens being there. Whereas other parties tinker around the edges to varying degrees, climate change is at the front and centre of our policies. Mr Price said his party would push for the council to help retrain and reskill people in green jobs such as retrofitting homes. And he said Norfolk would be at the forefront of harnessing the potential for hydrogen power from the North Sea. On the proposals to create traffic-free zones outside the county schools at peak times, he said so many schools are on busy main roads, but there's clear evidence linking air quality with poor health and death. We need a proper assessment across Norfolk and to work with schools to get a long-term programme in place. Mr Price said the Greens' opposition to road building, and in particular the Western Link, was based on the disruption it would cause to ecosystems and on traffic modelling. Norfolk County Council's political makeup is Conservatives 52, Labour 16, Liberal Democrats 9, Independent 3, Independent Non-Aligned 1 and Non-Aligned 1 and there are two vacancies. I have to say my polling slip arrived this week to remind us. Now, seven of the best April Fool's jokes in Norfolk this week. It is a day to test loved ones with false tales and trick your friends with stories just believable enough to pass for true. April's Fool's Day, which every year falls on April the 1st, has seen businesses, groups and even councils join in on the fun this year. In Thursday's EDP newspaper, they included a story saying that new Norwich City Roads would be named after comedy icon Alan Partridge. Here are some of the other local April Fool's jokes you might have missed. Pizza delivery by drone. heatherset based vegan pizza company One Planet Pizza unveiled an unusual way of delivery on Wednesday. It said from April the 2nd it would be launching a range of 20 drones to deliver customers their pizzas within 60 minutes. It included plenty of detail about how the setup would work, including that the customer's phone would beep 10 minutes before the pizza arrived and that delivery would initially cost £6.99. Norfolk's new chelliphant. The team at Rocks and Barnes posted on social media about an adorable new addition to the attraction a chelliphant. They said, We're delighted to be opening from the 12th and are pleased to let you know we have managed to secure Norfolk's first chelifant. This rare breed chinchilla variety is cute. He's going to need a name. So let us know any thoughts and we can't wait for you to meet him. I'm not quite sure really where some of these jokes actually come. Chip Ready Potatoes. The Buxton Potato Company brought big potato related news this year announcing that it had created a new variety in lockdown to meet challenging consumer demands, in particular the love for the humble chip. They said they had successfully created a straight-cut waxy potato and that with no need to peel or shape, the spuds would grow into perfect-form straight-cut chips. If you'd like to try growing your own straight-cut chips, you can take any straight-cut chip, plant it in freshly dug soil, Add ketchup and pray to the big French fry in the sky, they said. There's also a community-run village kebab shop. The Itteringham village shop said on Twitter that by fast-tracking local planning, they had created a rural community-run kebab house. The addition had come about, they said, by repurposing the village bus shelter. There's a Santa returns in spring one. Great Yarmouth Lions Club said that as coronavirus had somewhat put the dampeners on Christmas, they would be bringing back the festivity in April. They said Santa and his sleigh would be covering the route around the town that he missed at Christmas. <coughs> now, oysters being served by butlers in the buff. The Norfolk Oyster Company, based in Wells Next to the Sea, also got in on April the 1st for spirit It posted on social media that it was excited to launch a new dining concept. The Naked Oystermen, we believe, will transform the oyster catering sector, they said. The perfect option for the oyster lover who's looking for a little bit more... Our team of naked oystermen are now available to shuck the freshest Brancaster oysters at your wedding, christening grandmother's birthday party. The options are endless. The post was accompanied by an image of Jules Knight, boss of the firm, bare-chested. Mr Knight said I had several ladies emailing me thinking it was serious, and a couple of guys too. And the case to treacle mine. Case to Parish Council took to Facebook to say the town's history with treacle mining dates back to Roman times. They said treacle mining stopped in Caister during the Second World War but that it was due to make a return with plans to reopen the mine and offer strict guided tours. Next item, flat pack flats are planned for Yarmouth. A bid to build 36 affordable flat pack homes at three locations on the coast has been recommended for approval. The scheme would see Yarmouth Borough Council put up 18 homes at Beach Coach Station in Great Yarmouth, 8 at nearby Great Northern Close and 10 on a strip of land at Crab Lane in Galston. All properties would be prefabricated modular buildings. There has been opposition to the plans, especially among neighbours of the Crab Lane site, but planning officers have said an all-affordable housing scheme provides considerable material benefit. In three reports prepared for the Council's Development Control Committee, who met on March 31st, planners say the three proposals would very rapidly deliver a significant contribution to smaller housing accommodation in the borough. Approximately 100 residents objected to the proposed Crab Lane development, mainly over concerns about the loss of green space. In response, planners have said it is true that the spacious character of Crab Lane will change, but that that characteristic is not considered one that has to be preserved at all costs, given the timely positive provision of affordable housing that this application represents. Residents living near the other two sites raised concerns over the impact on parking. Planners have said there are alternative sites for parking around Great Northern Close and that while the development at Beach Coach Station would remove parking spaces from a major car park, the space is little used for most of the year. Now, the COVID jab. More than 50,000 people in Norfolk and Waveney have had their second jab. Another 20,000 people in Norfolk and Waveney have received second doses of the vaccine during the last seven-day period. Fresh figures published by NHS England show 21,700 follow-up injections were administered in the week up to March the 28th. It means a total of 53,788 patients now have substantial protection against the effects of COVID-19. People have this week been urged to accept invitations for second doses, even if they experience side effects from the first. And encouragingly, nearly a third of over 80s, the oldest group on the government's priority list, have already been given their second level of protection. In the context of Norfolk and Waveney's overall adult population, which stands at 851,948, the proportion of people who have had both shots is 6.3%. Health bosses warned in recent weeks of a significant reduction in the availability of jabs throughout April due to delayed shipments from overseas. But NHS England reassured patients that there would be enough supply to honour scheduled second doses and said those appointments would be protected. The sharp rise in second vaccines being given out in Norfolk, up from 8,000 last week, is reflected by a decline in the amount of first doses administered during the latest period. Another 38,000 initial shots were given in the seven days up to March the 28th, down from 59,000. That takes the total number of first doses administered in the area to 555,000, almost two-thirds of the adult population. Norfolk and Waveney, therefore, has the third highest vaccination rate out of 43 health systems in the country, behind only Dorset and Somerset. Broken down by local authority, North Norfolk's rate sees it remain top of the pile across the entire nation, while Norwich is down in 263rd place. The coastal district does, however, have a significantly older population than the county town. Now don't think that we're here with the good weather yet because there is a wintry snap heading to Norfolk bringing a chance of snow. Despite the mini heatwave last week it may be time to trade your shorts for your big coat as a cold snap hits the region. Even though we will be heading towards spring there is a chance of wintry showers across Norfolk as cold air blows in from the north on Sunday night bringing a sharp frost to the bank holiday. As we head into Monday, the 24 degrees we saw on Wednesday will be a distant memory with sleet, snow and rain predicted. Forecasters at the Norwich-based WeatherQuest said that while there isn't likely to be widespread snow, there is a chance of sleet and snow flurries in most places, though not everywhere will see one. The coast will feel milder than the 5 or 6 degree temperatures being forecasted and there will be sunshine in between the possible snowy snaps. Those wintry conditions are expected to continue into Tuesday, though it is expected to warm up slightly towards the end of the week. So don't be fooled that we're out of the cold weather quite just yet. Now, sadly, there was a fire on Regent Road Fire crews spent several hours tackling a major blaze at a business and residential property on one of Great Yarmouth's busiest shopping streets. According to Norfolk Fire and Rescue, eight fire engines, an aerial ladder platform, a drone, control unit and several support vehicles attended Regent Road where a fire broke out at Nico's Restaurant. A spokesperson said it is a terrace premises with the business on the ground floor and residential above. We believe the fire source is in the roof area and the fire is under control. There are no reports of any injuries. Police and ambulance are also in attendance. The incident commander, Chris Harding Cook, said the fire, which they attended at 1.45pm on Thursday, took over three hours to put out. Crews used an aerial ladder to reach the flames. The roof of the building remains unstable and a police cordon is still in place. He said what directly caused the fire is unknown at this point but there's an investigation underway. The road was fully open when the fire started. We were alerted to it by passers-by who noticed smoke coming from the roof. We quickly closed it off to the public away from the scene. Police will stay sitting with it for the meanwhile while we make the area safe and the investigation is completed. Luckily nobody was hurt. An eyewitness said that the Regent Road had been evacuated while emergency services dealt with the flames. There were a fair few firemen around the back on Roman Place in breathing apparatus, one lady said. It seemed like quite a big deal. You could even hear more sirens on the way when I was there at around 3pm. Now, residents look forward to a Middlegate revamp. A £113 million overhaul of a historic council estate could be in the pipeline if the Borough Council ensures enough funding to turn the project into a reality. Ambitious plans for a total revamp of the Great Yarmouth's troublesome Middlegate estate were first discussed in 2018 and at a meeting of the Borough Council's Housing and Neighbourhoods Committee in February last year More details of the long-animated plans were finally revealed. The project would see Yarmouth Borough Council spend £82 million and would involve the demolition of 301 of the estate's 535 existing homes. 284 new council-rented homes would be built, with 226 being refurbished. There would be a net gain of 88 homes overall, with 510 of the 623 proposed properties being Council owned. Plans reveal the housing block flanking Yarmouth Way is earmarked for full-scale demolition on account of its poor thermal efficiency. However, refurbishment of southern Middlegate, where most houses have been deemed fit for modern purpose, will concentrate mainly on breaking up monotonous architecture with open spaces. Likewise, the two blocks that flank Tollhouse Street will see little intervention under current proposals. According to Anthony Moore, Housing Growth Development Manager at the Borough Council, the planned refurbishment will most likely go ahead, subject to the plugging of a £14 million funding gap by Homes England. Mr. Moore said there was an opportunity to create much nicer homes for people, set with private courtyards and varied architecture. He added, however, that most residents were opposed to full-scale demolition and that the council must take this into account. The results of a community consultation beginning in 2018 showed the biggest concerns were over isolation, youth provision, living standards and rampant antisocial behaviour on the multi-use games area. Councillors agreed that any money left from refurbishment must go into an assessment of the children's play provision. Mr Moore said the money has to be used to ultimately integrate the residents into our town, although it feels like an island, he continued. The people who live on the estate don't think of themselves as living on Middlegate. Instead, they see themselves as belonging to a collection of individual streets and places, so development needs to reflect there. Many feel that the seafront belongs to tourists and that they are isolated from the town and King Street, even though it's very close. Although the Council says at this stage the Middlegate Regeneration Feasibility Report is merely an indicative master plan, It is confident the plans are affordable, should their funding be successful. With many residents potentially having to move twice to facilitate the rebuild, some are sceptical and unwilling to engage with the project. For others, however, the revamp can't come soon enough. Vanessa Clark, who has lived on Middlegate for over 12 years, says she was delighted the area will finally see some regeneration. There's five of us in the house and we've been on the council house exchange list for eight years, she said. The council is proposing single houses and gardens. This would be perfect for my son because we would have our own space. The demolition can't come soon enough. There isn't anything wrong with our house itself. We just got a new boiler and kitchen. It's just a shame about the area. Barry Johnson, another Middlegate resident, moved to the estate in 1963. He said the place had really gone downhill and challenged the council to stay true to its word about regeneration in the area. They've been promising a revamp for years, he said. I hope this time they come through. Chairman of the Middlegate Members Working Group, Michael Giles said this regeneration work aims to make the most of the strengths of Middlegate and its community. We have listened to residents' priorities including improving homes for the 21st century, the street scene, youth provision and linkages to the town centre.
0: Okay, more news in a moment, but before that, here's some news especially for you. Vision Norfolk, previously known as the Norfolk and Norwich Association for the Blind, Will be advertising using their minibus as a mobile unit around the county. In Great Yarmouth, the minibus will be on the marketplace on Tuesday the 6th of April from 12 noon until 2 pm, Thursday the 22nd of April from 10 am to noon, and Thursday the 29th of April from 12 noon until 2 pm. From the 19th of April, if the restrictions are relaxed, they will be able to have a staff member or volunteer on board and engage with as many people as possible and, if appropriate, demonstrate some small pieces of equipment. They would also like this opportunity to encourage people to keep their eye clinic appointments. If anyone is struggling with the long waiting lists, they would like them to know that they are here to support them whether they're registered or not. Please phone 01603 573 000 that's 01603 573 000 or email office at Norfolk or one word dot dot uk so that's office at visionnorfolk.org.uk Vision Norfolk has the two ends in the middle so it's V I S I O N N O R F O L K office at visionnorfolk.org.uk for any queries As you would expect they're adhering with the government guidelines for this project and all volunteers and staff members helping with this project will wear appropriate PPE have access to hand sanitizer and adhere to the social distancing rules advised by the government at the time of the project. We'll remind you of the dates during the following few weeks. OK, it's back to Aileen for some more local news.
1: Now, there is obviously going to be some Covid news. And Norfolk and Waveney is to get the Covid-19 vaccine bus in April. A pilot drop-in COVID-19 vaccination clinic held in Beckles attracted nearly 200 people in just two hours. It has emerged. And a vaccination bus is also on the way for Norfolk and Waveney next month. Friday's Suffolk Local Outbreak Engagement Board meeting heard that health bosses are trialling measures to help increase uptake of the COVID-19 jab among harder-to-reach communities across a number of means. That included a drop-in clinic for over-50s, one where an appointment to get the jab was not needed, and plans to introduce a vaccination bus to tour parts of Norfolk and North Suffolk, akin to the one already operating around Ipswich and Suffolk. A firm date for the introduction of the bus and its routes are currently being finalised, but health bosses say it is due to arrive sometime in April. Jocelyn Pike, Director of Special Projects with Norfolk and Waveney Clinical Commissioning Group, told Friday's board, In terms of progress, we are doing really well. The latest data is 61% of all our adults have received their first dose, and that compares really favourably to the national statistic of 52%. We are piloting dropping clinics for the over-50s where no appointment is needed. The first pilot ran on in Beckles on Sunday the 21st of March and actually we had nearly 200 people through in two hours so that was really successful and we are piloting further both at the Paget and also going out to the west of the county in the Queen Elizabeth and Downham Market. We are also developing mobile vaccination clinics and we are also hoping for a bus that can actively outreach Some of those communities where we know uptake is poor. Not unsurprisingly, there are often those communities where health inequalities are highest and they have a larger proportion of black and minority ethnic groups. Elsewhere, the Trust is encouraging all over 50s to proactively call their GP practice if they have not yet had a first dose. A marked U-turn on the don't call us, we will call you philosophy seen at the start of the vaccination rollout. A scheme called Project Now is also underway where follow-up calls are taking place with those aged 70 and above who have declined vaccine appointments to understand their concerns. That is focusing on around 10,000 patients in the first four priority groups, which the CCG said would be rolled out to the rest of the top nine priority groups if it proves a success. Work is also ongoing to engage with those who have autism, learning difficulties or severe mental illness, as well as gypsy and Roma travellers and unknown carers. Now, something very modern, e-scooter trials have been launched. People can now hire electric scooters to get a Grand Great Yarmouth thanks to a trial designed to support greener travel. Great Yarmouth Borough Council, with the help of Norfolk County Council and Norfolk Constabulary, has applied successfully to the Department of Transport to become one of the controlled trial areas across the country that will help the government to decide whether or not to legalise e-scooters. The council is working with authorised e-scooter operator Ginger which is initially providing 35 scooters and 50 parking bays. The trial zone covers residential areas and commuter routes in Great Yarmouth, Galston and Bradwell as well as both seafronts and other key employment areas. Including the James Paget Northgate Hospital, Harfrees, Captain Hall Industrial Estate, and South Dean's, rides can be hired via the Ginger Shared Transport app, costing two pound per twenty minutes to ride, and fifty p per ten minutes to pause. Two free rides a day are currently available until at least June the twenty-first to NHS, emergency service workers and armed forces personnel under Ginger's Free Rides for Heroes initiative. Users must be aged 16 or over and hold a provisional or full driver's licence. The first time they ride, the user needs to photograph their licence and submit a, a selfie to verify the ID is theirs. Those aged 16 or 17 are required to complete an online e-scooter training course before they can ride. Users are covered with Ginger's insurance. E-scooters can be ridden on roads and cycle paths within the trial area, anywhere bicycles can be legally used. Though there are a number of zones where users will have to dismount due to safety, including the A47 bypass, Haven Bridge and Galston High Street. E-scooters must not be ridden on pavements. To further support safety, riders are advised to stick to roads with a speed limit of 20 or 30 miles an hour. Ginger has fixed the maximum speed at 12 with a walking pace slow zone of 4 in the marketplace. Ginger regularly cleans its e-scooters, though riders are asked to sanitise handlebars before and after use. Riders are encouraged to leave feedback as part of the trial via the app, as well as make suggestions or comments about the trial area or parking bay locations. Anyone can also send feedback to PMO and great-yarmouth.gov.uk. Councillor Penny Carpenter, Chairman of the Environment Committee, said, Supporting our wider aspirations for improved connectivity and sustainability, this trial is a great opportunity for people to experience the benefits of e-scooters and use them alongside cycling and walking as methods of active travel that decrease car usage. E-scooters offer the possibility of affordable, reliable and clean way to travel during a time of social distancing, improving air quality and reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the longer term. However, this is very much a trial. We will learn lessons as we go, welcome constructive feedback and will work with Ginger to review the operations. Temporary Chief Inspector John Chapman, head of the Joint Roads and Armed Policing Teams, said e-scooters are classed as a motor vehicle under the Road Traffic Act and therefore we must remind users to treat them as such. As it is a motor vehicle, the Road Traffic Act also provides powers to police to stop users of e-scooters for offences such as drug and drink driving as well as careless or dangerous driving. It is important that users stick to the roads. The use of e-scooters on pavements is not allowed by law. Whilst these government trials are currently underway, the legislation still remains the same and we would remind people that the use of regular e-scooters remains illegal in public places. During this trial period, we would look to engage and educate e-scooter users. Individuals must be aware that they could face a fine or penalty points if found to be repeat offenders. Now, a seafront casino is on sale for £1.1 million. The Grosvenor Casino and Yarmouth Parade in Great Yarmouth is due to reopen on May 17th in line with government guidance. The venue, a three-storey period building opposite Wellington Pier, has been put on the market by estate agent Savills, who are seeking offers in excess of £1.1 million. There will be a new lease in place to Grosvenor Casinos for a term of 10 years, with the tenants paying an annual rent of £95,000. My goodness. According to a document published by Savills, turnover in 2018-19 was 215000 A spokesperson for Grosvenor Casino said, we are fully committed to keeping our casino open in Great Yarmouth, which is a valuable part of the Grosvenor estate. As part of an ongoing review of various sites, we are exploring ways to optimise our property portfolio, but would like to reassure customers and colleagues that the casino is here to stay and we are excited about the prospect of reopening when lockdown restrictions are eased in a few weeks' time. Now, there are concerns have been raised after the Freeport decision. Felix Stowe's new Freeport could take business away from Great Yarmouth, an expert has claimed. The Suffolk port was one of eight new Freeports created across England as part of a government bid to regenerate deprived areas. Freeport East, around Felixstowe and Harwich, will allow businesses to import goods for local businesses, such as manufacturing materials, tax-free, before exporting products elsewhere. Yet a report by Think Tank UK in a changing Europe has raised concerns about the future of businesses in Great Yarmouth, with such benefits that less than 100 miles along the coast... Author Professor Catherine Barnard said I have some concerns for the simple reason if the area around Felixstowe and Harwich is shown to be so attractive and you're setting up a new business do you set that up there where you get tax breaks, good infrastructure and probably a reduction in red tape for planning or do you go to Great Yarmouth? The evidence shows from the US and elsewhere that free ports are very good news for the areas that have one. There are further problems for the government that the more they lord free ports and say what a triumph they are, it means other areas of deprivation look on and ask why they haven't had some of it. The eight free ports were announced in Chancellor Rishi Sunak's budget, with the report arguing successfully, in attracting businesses to free ports around the world, such as the US, may simply be relocating jobs from other areas." Great Yarmouth MP Brandon Lewis, however, disagreed the town would suffer as a result, saying he believed Felix Stowe's status would complement business in the Norfolk port. He said, I think it's good for our region to have a free port. In Great Yarmouth and Galston, we have an enterprise zone, and our port is focused on the energy industry, and our area has experience now in both oil and gas and renewables, with strong business growth around that. With our huge recent investment by the government in the Third River Crossing and our recent announcement, I look forward to seeing our economy and local jobs continue to grow. The free port in our region will be a good complement to boost the entirety of East Anglia and Western economy. Now what are freeports? Freeports are areas that are exempt from import taxes on goods coming into the area which are not destined for the UK, effectively treating the area covered by the freeport as if it is not part of the country for tax purposes. In theory, this would make the area more attractive to manufacturing businesses because they could import materials tax-free before exporting their products elsewhere. For instance, a clock manufacturer could import clock hands from France, clock faces from Algeria into a free port without paying import tax. They would then turn the parts into a finished clock in a factory within the free port area, before exporting the clock to Germany. As well as shipping ports, free ports can also include areas around airports. Now, a man was charged with burglaries. A Galston man has appeared in court accused of stealing an Xbox, money and alcohol from a summer house and home earlier this month. Justin Lodes has been charged with burgling a garage and summer house at a home in Briar Avenue, Bradwell on the 10th and 11th of March. He is accused of stealing alcohol and a coat. Lodes of New College Close Galston is charged with a second count of burglary after allegedly stealing an Xbox, cash, scrap cards and keys from a home in Jasmine Gardens, Bradwell, between the 17th and 18th of March. Police arrested Lodes and questioned him at Great Yarmouth Police Centre where he was charged and remanded in custody. He appeared in Norwich Magistrates Court via video link and was remanded in custody to appear in court on April the 19th. A pub on Yarmouth Marketplace could reopen as a shop and a restaurant. A pub in Great Yarmouth that has closed and reopened three times in the last decade could see new life as a shop and a restaurant, if planning application gets the green light, the gallon pot on the corner of Marketplace and Church Plain was put up for sale last December for £250,000. This was despite a £200,000 refurbishment carried out in 2018 which boasted a revamped kitchen and a new games room. The new owners, the Hall Key-based Shahaza Property Sales, are now bidding to convert the premises into a shop and restaurant. According to the plans submitted to the Borough Council by applicant Mr Rahumatuli, one half of the pub would be converted into a retail shop, while the other, which already has a kitchen, would reopen as a restaurant. The ground floor currently comprises a bar, lounge, dining area and kitchen. At basement level, there is a further bar with function space and the cellar. The application can be viewed at Great Yarmouth Borough Council's planning portal. A decision on the bid is expected by April the 14th. The Gallon Pot, originally known as Burroughs Wine Lodge, was built in 1772 by William Burroughs. It was taken over by Laken's, which had a brewery overlooking the building in 1897. On May 7, 1943, a Second World War bomb dropped by a German FW-190 plane destroyed the pub. Laken's rebuilt the venue and it was reopened in 1960, now known as the Gallon Pot. In January 2014, the pub closed, citing cheap supermarket alcohol deals as one of the reasons for its declining trade. The venue reopened under new management in July that year, with landlords Andrew Hall and Dane Rees taking over the pumps. By February 2018, though, the pub was vacant again. At the time, Enterprise Inn said a £200,000 renovation would transform the premises into the leading venue for food and functions in Yarmouth. And while the pub did reopen in September 2018, boasting a new kitchen and games room under landlords Maria and Kirk Armstrong, it shut down again after only a year. It certainly has had a chequered life. Now, if you don't want to buy a pub, you can buy a hotel because the owners of a Victorian hotel facing the sea and the sun in Great Yarmouth have dropped the price after failing to find a buyer. Norwich-based, the UK holiday group, had hoped to keep the hotel at one marine parade trading. But a year on and in times of Covid, the hotel is now closed. It is now for sale for offers in excess of £900,000. The hotel, built in 1844 as the biggest in town, is believed to have been converted originally from a row of posh terraces. Called the Brandon Mansions, the hotel was advertised in its heyday as Facing the Sea and the Sun, boasting bedrooms with spectacular views. Old adverts promised jolly holiday and hearty welcome. It sold for 50000 in 1959 to the then owner of the nearby Carlton Hotel and the Castle Hotel Norwich. And prior to the purchase by the UK Holiday Group and for much of the 20th century, it was called the Cavendish Hotel. Last February, the hotel went up for sale for £1 million before COVID. Popular with coach tours, the hotel continued to operate last year with coronavirus guidelines. Agent Christian Coe said the Grade 2 listed Nelson Hotel occupies one of the best locations in the town – and is one of Great Yarmouth's most popular hospitality businesses. The hotel offers a newly refurbished function room for 120 people, a lounge bar for more than 75, a library meeting room and a dining room for 80. There are 50 ensuite bedrooms over three floors. Christie said Great Yarmouth remains one of the most popular seaside resorts in the country, and the Nelson Hotel occupies one of the most prominent locations along the seafront. The function room alone will be able to generate sustainable levels of trade, as will the unused room on the seafront side of the property, given the footfall along Marine Parade. In summary, an impressive property, very well located, with potential to build on the significant trade already being undertaken. Now very very sadly vandals have flattened some of the walls at Yarmouth Waterways bandstand. A circular shelter at the Venetian Waterways in Great Yarmouth has been vandalized. Three of the shelters surrounding low brick walls were knocked down into the public footpath with supporting wooden beams and uprights also damaged. Norfolk police said the incident happened between Sunday the 28th and Monday the 29th of March. The shelter has since been cordoned off, pending repairs. The waterways were reopened in April 19 after a £2.7 million restoration. Penny Carpenter, Chairman of the Environment Committee at Yarmouth Borough Council, said that someone would do mindless damage to a much-loved and unique part of our community heritage, especially so soon after the park's award-winning restoration by dedicated volunteers and the council is extremely disappointing and shows total lack of respect. We're appealing to the community and to good public spirit to help identify the offenders so the police can take some action. And I have to say it's an absolute tragedy that someone would do that after it looks so wonderful.
2: I saw you look quite so pretty before Never saw you dress quite so handsome, what's more I could hardly wait to keep our days This lovely Easter morning And my heart beat fast as I came through the door Easter parade. I'll be all in clover And when they look us over We'll be the proudest couple In the Easter Parade On the avenue, fifth avenue The photography Bonnet and of the guy I'm taking to the Easter parade On the avenue Fifth avenue The photographers will snap us and you'll find that you're in the road of gravure.
0: That's what you call a big ending. Judy Garland and Fred Astaire from the film Easter Parade. Well, Yarmouth has no Easter Parade, but there are quite a few seasonal events in the area. Here's Aileen with the details and the last batch of news.
1: Now, there's lots of Easter events taking place in Yarmouth, um, from online concerts to egg hunts in towns and villages across Great Yarmouth Borough and beyond. There should be plenty to keep families entertained over the Easter bank holiday weekend. Acle's Easter Trail, where villagers have been invited to decorate their windows and gardens with an Easter theme to get themselves on the map showing this year's Easter Trail. The map can be bought from the Chocolate Box in Acle or Upton Community Shop from today, which is April the 1st. From Good Friday, April the 2nd to Easter Monday, participants can follow the map to find hidden letters, which when unscrambled will make an Easter-related sentence. Answers will be returned with maps. Correct answers win a prize. And all proceeds go to the Acle Preschool and the Friends of the School Association. Now, Hopton has an Easter competition. Decorate your front window or your door or your front garden for the Hopton Easter Egg Hunt on Sunday. The best decoration wins a giant Easter egg. The closing date is April the 2nd, which is Friday. See Hopton on Sea residents Facebook page for more details. The event is sponsored by Potter's Friends Foundation. Now, Summer Layton Hall is also having an egg hunt. Head to Summer Layton Hall and Gardens between Good Friday and Easter Monday for the children's Easter egg hunt. Visitors will complete the Easter trail around the stunning gardens and receive an Easter egg quiz. Tickets can be booked on Eventbrite. For more information, contact 0871 4244 or email info at summerleighton.co.uk and carl's easter extravaganza on wednesday the 3rd of march carl c-a-r-l which stands for care and real loving in the community a lowest off based charity providing support to people with serious illness Place 10 custom-made egg-shaped pieces of art by local artist, greater than, in public places around Galston and Lowestoft. Find four of the artworks by Monday, send pictures of them to Carl in the community's Facebook page, and the organisers will send you an Easter treat. Now, tenants say a landlord crackdown is failing as more horrible conditions persist. As a five-year council scheme aimed at rooting out rogue landlords in Great Yarmouth past its second anniversary, landlords and renters alike have raised fresh concern about its impact. The selective licensing scheme in the town's deprived Nelson Ward came into force on January 19, requiring private landlords to be licensed and meet health and safety requirements. As of February 2021, 1,484 properties within the ward have been licensed, 1,169 inspected, and 4,850 issues identified, ranging from imminent to minor risk. A Freedom of Information request to the Borough Council further revealed that 24 landlords have since had their licence to rent revoked. Andy Grant, chair of the Borough Council's Housing and Neighbourhood Committee, said the scheme had been successful in flagging up potentially life-threatening hazards, but that progress on inspections and repairs had stalled due to COVID. He added the scheme was nevertheless working to discourage unethical landlords who have an unfair advantage because of poor practices. But Nelson Ward tenant Naomi Sutherland disputes the council's assessment. The 40-year-old lives with her daughter in a private flat in the town. Both said they absolutely hate being there but claim they've been told it will be years before their council house application is considered. Miss Sutherland said, My landlord knew nothing about the selective licensing application and never had a renter's licence. Nobody from the council has come to property assess the flat to see how safe it is in the two and a half years I've been here. Maybe if they had, my asthma and mental health wouldn't be so bad. I have extreme mould and damp, no central heating, cracks in my bathroom floor, leaks in the walls and for a while a rotting front door which wouldn't shut properly. It's horrible. We've now got three electric heaters which run at £12 a day. It's extortionate but we've got no choice. We need to try and dry out somehow. Miss Sutherland's landlord said they were aware of her complaints and were working to resolve them, but did not want to comment further. Another Nelson Ward tenant, Dino Proctor, said in his case the council put enormous pressure on him and his landlord, which he eventually forced him out of the home he rented for years. As a council's inspection as part of the scheme, Mr Proctor's landlords were told to make a series of changes, which Mr Proctor himself did not want, as this would increase the rent beyond what he could afford. With the council refusing to budge, Mr Proctor ended up being evicted by his landlords. He said it worked out in the end for me as I'm now in a council flat which suits me, but it was a lengthy and stressful process. In response, brothers and co-landlords of the property, Richard and Chris Allen, said the scheme was harebrained and that they could see no sense in having to get rid of a tenant who had been no bother at all. They have decided instead to sell the property on the open market to avoid any further stress. Landlords generally say while they are not opposed to the scheme in principle, it is overly punitive and has had the effect of demonising and alienating the ethically minded among them. But a council spokesperson made clear the scheme is not just about housing repair. They said it also targets crime, antisocial behaviour, low housing demand, high deprivation related to the private housing sector. Landlord associations and letting agents were sent all the relevant information after we first made the idea for the scheme public in 2017. This included radio and TV coverage, social media, BBC website, our own website and extensive leafleting a late application fee was put in place to enforce against landlords who did not comply with the requirement to licence. The alternative to this fee was either to prosecute the landlord, which carries an unlimited fine, or impose a civil penalty for up to £30,000. However, an FOI to the Council, of Freedom of Information that is, to the Council, revealed that it does not actually have records of how many eligible landlords have not applied for a licence. Paul Cunningham, who heads the Yarmouth and Galston Landlords Association, said this was what was so frustrating for the good landlords. The council said it was going to level the playing field, he said, but they don't even know who hasn't got a licence when they should. I find that unbelievable. Alan McLernan and Sarah Tozer, fellow Nelson Ward landlords, were hit with late application penalties of £1,000 a property on top of the cost of licensing the property itself. Mr McLernan said that was disproportionate and that being threatened with a £30,000 penalty from the council simply for renting out a room was terrifying. I didn't receive any information telling me about the scheme And to react in the way they did was unhelpful. I've always said I'd be happy to live in any of the properties I rent out and still would, he said. Miss Tozer too said she spends a lot of time abroad and not in Great Yarmouth. She claims she received no direct correspondence about the licence. A request for the number of complaints received by the council from its own tenants was refused. Two people have been charged after a vigil for a teenager who died in a motorbike crash. Two people have been charged with breaching COVID restrictions after taking part in a seafront vigil for a teen who died in a motorcycle crash. More than 100 people gathered along Yarmouth Seafront on March the 6th as part of a memorial to a 17-year-old boy known as Domas who died after crashing a motorbike into a lamppost on North Drive on March the 2nd. Chase staff of Ormsby Road, Caster has been charged with threatening behaviour and breaching the health protection regulations by taking part in a gathering on North Drive. The 31-year-old has been bailed to appear at Yarmouth Magistrates Court. Johnny Oglesby of Birchway, Yarmouth has been charged with breaching the regulations by attending the gathering and was also bailed to appear on the March the 31st. A spokesperson for Norfolk Police also confirmed a 19-year-old man was questioned voluntarily in relation to offences of obstructing police and breaching COVID regulations, although no charges have been made and inquiries are ongoing. A fourth man was also arrested on suspicion of organizing the gathering of more than 30 people. He was questioned by police and has been released under investigation while inquiries continue. Two other men have been given fixed penalty notice for breaching the COVID rules. At the time, officers confirmed the levels of sound emitting from the scene plus the number of attendees meant the event met the criteria to be considered a rave and was broken up by officers using rave legislation. A friend of Domus who was at the scene said it was not an unlawful music event but a socially dispensed memorial to their great friend with his favourite songs being played as more than a hundred lanterns were released. Dozens of tributes have been left at the scene of the crash, including a signed banner saying forever in our hearts. Emergency services had been called to North Drive at 3am on March the 1st after the red Suzuki motorcycle collided with a lamppost. Now there's a new water pipeline which is hoped will protect the broads. A £9 million new water pipeline has been opened to stop drinking supplies being abstracted from a protected fen in the Norfolk Broads. Anglian water engineers have completed work on the new link from Norwich to Ludham, which will maintain vital supplies to 3,000 homes while safeguarding the environment of Catfield Fen. Previously, the public water supply for the area came from a borehole near the village of Ludham. But environmental concerns over the degradation of nearby Catfield Fen, a rare habitat protected as a site of special scientific interest, meant the company needed to find a new source of supply. Anglian Water says the completion of the project means it will now stop using this groundwater source. Instead, three kilometres of new pipeline will connect the village to Horstead Water Tower, where a new booster station and additional storage facility will pump water directly to customers' tap. The new pipeline means we can turn off our groundwater abstraction at Ludham. This will protect the environment in a much-loved unique part of our region, while keeping taps running for thousands of nearby homes for years to come. Environmental campaigners say the scope of the review should be much wider – while some farmers in the area claim they could lose thousands of pounds in revenue if they are unable to access water to irrigate their crops. Now, with the good weather, it it feels like freedom for some families, as a lot enjoyed days at the coast. Families and friends were reunited for the first time in months as lockdown eased and people enjoyed a sunny day on the Norfolk coast. Though the beach itself was quiet and mainly populated by dog walkers, North Drive and Marine Parade in Great Yarmouth were full of families, couples and friends, enjoying picnics and iced coffees in the midday sun. For Sue Price and her daughters, Megan and Bronwyn, the moment was particularly special. They hadn't been together since Christmas, before the third lockdown. The sisters had seen each other every day. We're just so relieved to be able to see each other in person again and to see everyone else out and about too, they said. Megan added that it was absolutely lovely to have a coffee with her mum for the first time in three months. It's so windy and we probably shouldn't have worn our hair down, but we don't care, she said. Gloria and David Johnson were out too on a long-delayed day trip from Norwich with their grandson Seth. We haven't been here in weeks, Mrs Johnson explained. It finally feels like freedom. Meanwhile, for personal trainer Peter Dewar and his clients Anna Matos and Maria Carvalho, being able to hold an outdoor boxing session was fantastic. Maria and her I have been out boxing a fair bit over the last few months, Mr Dewar said, but it's great to be able to have Anna here and for all of us to work out together. It really lifts your mood. For Alberto Menzies, co-owner at the Beach Hut along North Drive, trade was definitely starting to pick up around lunchtime, as families made the most of both the weather and the Easter holidays. We've been closed for the past few weeks, he said, but there's more of an atmosphere here now that the restrictions are lifting. However, he did that, there were quite a few unfamiliar faces and worried that many of the people passing his cafe were not ostensibly local. For larger families, not much had changed, but Billy Robinson and his children were out enjoying a coffee and a walk regardless. Mr. Robinson, who lives nearby at Yarmouth Racecourse, says there's five of us, so the rule of six doesn't feel like a big difference. But we do appreciate being able to sit here on a bench and enjoy a coffee. There's definitely that, he said. Now, a woman stamped down on an officer's foot as four of them took control of her. The woman, who stamped down twice on a policeman's foot as they tried to remove her from a property, has been ordered to pay him compensation. Maureen McHugh of Row 46, Great Yarmouth pleaded guilty to the charge of assault by beating off an emergency worker when she appeared at Great Yarmouth Magistrates Court. According to prosecutor Lucy Broughton, police were called to an address in Yarmouth on February 15th of this year for a different matter when they found their defendant drunk and agitated. She said McHugh then continued to be aggressive and resisted repeated police calls for her to leave the property. As she sat on the sofa, she reached for a glass tumbler, Miss Broughton explained, The officers then reached to take the glass tumbler from her hands, but she began kicking out her legs and refused to move. She stamped down hard on one of the officers' feet. He tried to reason with her, but she maintained her behaviour and stamped down on his foot again, causing him pain. Miss Broughton noted that Miss McHugh has no previous convictions and the officer involved sustained no lasting injuries. Anne-Marie Sheridan, mitigating, said the defendant had lost her good character over this incident. Addressing the court, she said, A police attended the address, but Miss McHugh believed nothing had taken place to necessitate their arrival. She didn't know why she was being asked to leave the property. On this occasion, I think it's fair to say the police lost their patience. There were four of them, and all four took control of her, even though she wasn't under arrest at that point. She was being lifted out the door, and that's when she stamped her foot on the floor. Nevertheless, Miss Sheridan added, the defendant regrets her actions. She said her client was of very limited means and has six grandchildren to help look after. Taking this into account, Chair of the Bench Nicholas Clark, said the matter would be dealt with by way of compensation and ordered McHugh to pay £50 to the officer. I know some of us will be enjoying lamb on Easter Sunday. However, Walter the Whopper is the farm's biggest ever spring lamb. A Norfolk farm has welcomed its biggest ever spring lamb just in time for the Easter weekend. The heavyweight new arrival named Walter was born on Tuesday evening at the Hurst Family Farm in Ormsby near Great Yarmouth. The farm launched a competition inviting people to guess the weight of the lamb, and more than a hundred guesses have been ventured. Farmer Robert Hurst said this is the biggest lamb that has ever been born on the farm. We have got six-week-old lambs born in February that are still not as big as him. Every year we seem to get a token large lamb and obviously Walter is the one for 2021. Big lambs can sometimes come out a bit dopey but Walter was full of life. His mum licked his head and off he went. His mum is doing fine too. It was her sixth lambing so she is obviously a very good mother and she was up straight away looking after him. The nearest person to guess Walter's weight correctly will be in with a chance of winning a £15 Easter treat box from the family's farms shop, which they are planning to expand with a bigger premises and new cafe, which they hope to open in May. The competition closed Thursday evening and the winner will be res- revealed on Good Friday with the prize available collection, on Saturday. Now, I have to say, it doesn't say exactly how big Walter the Whopper is, but the guesses have come in ranging from 5 kilos to 20 kilos. Well, that's all the news for this week, ending on Good Friday, just in time for the Easter weekend. I can't believe that we're now in our second Easter weekend, still in lockdown restrictions for most of the year. Um, I haven't seen my daughter since October last year, so I am, like everyone else, feeling the loss of family and friends close by, um, and it's not the same celebrating these big weekends without them. Although I have a new puppy, I haven't got anyone in the house who wants to do an Easter egg treasure hunt, so... I won't be doing one of those this year and although we've enjoyed some good weather I do think we're still in for some cold days. Anyway I hope you're all keeping safe and well. I have had my first injection now as a lot of you will have maybe even had your second so let's just hope with a bit of caution the rest of the year continues to settle down with a bit more normal. I will speak to you next month. This is Aileen wishing you well. Bye for now.
0: Well, that's it from this edition of Grapevine. The recording is copyright 2021 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. <music> the news content is adapted mainly from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, The Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accepts responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Next week's newsreader will be Desney, and we hope that we can look forward to welcoming you once again for much more of your local news. In the meantime, from all at Grapevine, we hope that you have an enjoyable Easter and loads of chocks, and with the usual wish that you stay safe and well, it's bye for now.